And now, proper propaganda. But if you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You are listening to Civic Cipher. Yes, indeed. Um, be sure to stick around. We got a lot more show in store for you. We're going to be talking about a very uncool police department. And no, I'm not talking about Uvalde. It's funny because there's more than one. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about the Kansas City Police Department. Also, we're going to tell a little story about a black couple who helped build the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which you may know of as Black Wall Street. Um, you know, for our way Black History Fact, we tell stories to give you some context so you know that our story runs a lot deeper and we're not just we didn't just start in the 80s with easy e you know we, you know whatever you might think we got to bring some game to you you're not getting it in school so that's what we're here for so stick around for that first up we're going to discuss baba baba how to become a better ally um today's baba is sponsored by the black information network daily podcast that can be found on iHeartMedia or at binnews.com where you will find discussions and interviews on topics and news stories important to the black community um hosted by yours truly and featuring sometimes q ward and maggie be um today's story comes by black enterprise uh and uh we are going to clap for these folks um, stepping up as a launch employer in 2020, PNC Bank. I actually bank with those guys. We have our business accounts. My family has our business accounts with them. PNC Bank has announced that they have achieved the Management Leadership for Tomorrow Black Equity at Work Certification, MLT. Um, earning recognition as the first financial institution to achieve the certification. Achieving certification demonstrates that PNC is on the right course, but this is not the finish line, said PNC's Chief Diversity Officer, Gina Coleman. She goes on, we remain focused on and committed to continued progress. We have a responsibility to our employees, stakeholders, and the community to continue our journey toward equity with the goal of being a better company, better employer, better neighbor, and better investment. Um, the certification focuses on people, purchasing, and philanthropy and centers on five pillars, representation, compensation, workplace culture, business practices, contributions, and investments. To learn more about achieving the Black Equity at Work certification for your organization, visit MLT.org. Um, also, because I know she would like for me to say it, um, Bank of America treats Black people badly. Moving on. Um, let's talk about a very brief timeline of one police department's corruption. Okay, so the timeline starts for our purposes. Of course, it runs a lot deeper, but for our purposes, um, we're going to tell a story starting in 2021. And in 2021, Jay-Z's Team Rock files a lawsuit against the Kansas City Police, citing a laundry list of complaints about abuse. Now, um, if you've listened to this show before, you recognize that 
we talk about police about as much as we talk about politics. Um, those are the two big pillars upon which the show was founded and the reason that the show exists. I remember us saying this early on. We wish we didn't have to do this show. We wish we could do another hip hop show. That's where we come from. We used to break new music and, you know, we're DJs. This is where we come from. And the reason we do this show is because it's necessary. Um, nobody talks about this stuff in long form uh, format in this space on hip hop radio formats. And I know that we have some other formats around the country that carry our program as well. Um, and we appreciate all of you, but these conversations, they don't exist in the circles where we come from. And we felt like we could contribute something meaningful. Again, if you listen to our show, you recognize that we talk about policing a lot. Policing is the one thing that a lot of black people brush up against a lot of brown people brush up against a lot of our native brothers and sisters brush up against um even our aapi brothers and sisters you know what i mean and it doesn't feel it doesn't and then you know for black people especially there is like like statistical evidence that shows that we aren't treated fairly um so when we talk about another police department to you it may sound again if you listen to the show to you it may sound like here we go again here they go again right but seldom do we get to do a deep dive like this where we can really pick apart exactly how deep corruption can run exactly how much is covered up and for how long exactly the, the how much harm can be uh done to a community by what are effectually bullies who have blind community support from a not insignificant part and segment of the population, namely the population whose interests the police protect and defend and espouse. In other words, if you look like the police officers, yeah, I'm trying to say something without saying it. Mm -hmm. So please hear between my words. If you look like the police officers, you might not see what the effect of policing can do um, and, and the extent that they go to cover it up. And you are espousing this group of people who are perpetuating harm on a community that you may have turned a blind eye to because you don't live that life. The interesting thing is how selective they become with that loyalty and support, though, as we're going to do a deep dive into. Talk to us. Say, say this now before we get there. Go ahead. Well, well, you'll see that when law enforcement has to police law enforcement, then they start talking about defunding law enforcement. Oh, yeah. That's especially right. in cases like the FBI <laughs> going after their leader and or the police. Yeah. They don't understand. They 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 can't wrap their yeah. Head they, it has to be some some form of corruption or yes. whatever. Law enforcement is no longer law enforcement. It's corruption. It's the deep state. It's a you know the, con, these conspiracies. As long as they're doing what I want them to do, we have to back the blue. If they don't do what I want, then if they do anything different, however, they're by nature corrupt and should be defunded. Mm. I'm glad you said that. All right. So. Jay-Z's Team Rock, they filed a lawsuit against the Kansas City Police, citing a, a laundry list of complaints about abuse. That's September 2021. Let's move on. Um, this part of the, our story comes from the Black Information Network. Um, 
The headline is FBI arrests former detective accused of sexually preying on black women. I'll read this. Police detective in Kansas has been charged with federal civil rights crimes involving sexual assault. On September 15th, retired detective Roger Golubsky, 69, was arrested after a federal grand jury indicted him on six counts related to the rape of two women accused uh he was accused of raping two black women and forcing them to perform sexual acts on him in his vehicle and at their homes while he was working for the kansas city police department so um we haven't even talked about the laundry list of stuff from the rockefeller or the jay-z lawsuit right um, this is a whole new thing, right? From the same police department. Um, this is a detective, police detective, and he was raping black women. Um, looks like this was a, an ongoing thing. And uh, he was doing this in uniform in his car, right? So the corruption of power, the uh, perversion of of authority and you know we're talking about black people again so i'm hoping you're still with us we we told those white stories so you know just try to stretch that empathy a little bit because we have beating hearts and we love our families and we want our tomorrows to be better than today we're just like you we have consciousness from the same creator whoever you decide that is right and this is the sort of thing that happens and again folks especially when it's black people, folks call it, you know, collateral damage. They say it's a few bad apples. They say they don't realize that a system that gives blind loyalty, um, what do you call it? Uh, you call it uh, carte blanche and you call it something else where they there's no consequences. I, I love how you say it. Impunity. Impunity. That's another one um, where it, it's like, you know, if you were the bully in high school, if the girls didn't like you in high school, whatever, whatever it was your story is, and you get a little older and you decide I'm going to be a police officer, there's nothing to screen these people out. And even if there was, it's so easy to get through a screening process. You ask, a, you answer a couple of questions the right way and, you know, boom, you're here's a badge and a gun. Go out and do whatever. Right. Um, and the problem, I think, is that when we when we're dealing with police officers when we're dealing with people that have this type of authority that that can move with impunity um and we empower them we we support them we call them heroes right it's a job a he a hero in my opinion is when you do something above and beyond your job like there was no money involved you did something truly heroic you know being a hero because you put on a certain uniform i feel like that's you know that's setting the bar kind of low you know what I mean? I wouldn't call myself a hero unless I did something heroic, right? Um, but um, as far as the uh, the story with this officer and, and these people, um, the collateral damage part of it, the few bad apples part of it, that's the part that makes it very difficult because oftentimes when we tell black stories, this is the way that 
the opposition to our narrative frames it. Well, you know, there's some bad apples that there's, you know, and they don't look at a system that blindly support, like that, that empowers these people, makes them feel like they're gods among men. And when we look at examples like this over and over and over and over again, you have another example here. Oh man. Same police department. Mm -hmm. Please pile on. All right, let's do it. So the next one comes from CNN, uh, same police department. This comes from late September, 2022. So it's just same police department, same month, yeah. same year. Yeah. Um, this comes by CNN. The Department of Justice is investigating allegations that Kansas City police racially discriminated against black officers. So there's a whole new dynamic to this. The U.S. Department of Justice is investigating whether the Kansas City Police Department in Missouri engaged in a pattern of racial discrimination against black officers, according to a letter sent to the agency Monday. Quote, our investigation is based on information suggesting that KCPD may be engaged in certain employment practices that discriminate against black officers and applicants. The letter provided to CNN by the police department reads. Investigators will be looking into allegations involving race-based disparities in hiring, promotions, detective assignments, disciplining officers, and maintaining a hostile work environment, the DOJ said in the letter. Police commissioners welcome federal civil rights investigation into the KCPD. Uh, the president of the police board says commissioners welcome a federal investigation um, and the U.S. Department of Justice's civil rights investigation may be the result of a number of recent lawsuits by police officers accusing the police department of racial discrimination and retaliation. Just last month, a police detective sued KCPD, claiming he was punished for reporting another officer's illegal search. In April, a sergeant sued over alleged racial profiling during a traffic stop, and two black female officers sued the department, alleging discrimination, retaliation, and a hostile work environment. Okay, so... I want to take a moment to talk about black officers. Let's talk about black officers in the deep South, but you know, all over, but you know, the South, we have, uh, recent examples of black officers in the South doing some real anti-black stuff. It doesn't have to be specific to black officers in the South. I think the environment is unique for black officers in areas that are not highly populated by black people mm. or that are only populated by black people because mm. those present two very very different sets of circumstances sure, sure. but both of which are kind of tricky for said officer yeah right when you're policing a community where everyone looks like you mm -hmm. uh, what we have to say out loud is that bad people exist mm -hmm. doesn't matter what color they are you know what i mean so Police officers are going to encounter some people that are bad, that are black. The same is going to be said in the reverse, however. Mm -hmm. Being a police officer does not remove you from being a person. Yeah. So just like bad people exist, bad people can become police officers. Talk ladies to and gentlemen. Talk to them. I hate to have to say that to you like you're a fourth grader, but sometimes we remove our own logic from the idea just by nature of having passed you know whatever screening in 
that was involved to become an officer and taking an oath that you are by nature a good person because of it. That's that's just not how life works. Um, so the interesting position that you're put in when you're a, a black officer in a community where no one looks like you versus being one in the community where everyone looks like you and and how different that might be if your partner does or doesn't look like you and mm. just all the different challenges that that come from upholding a system that is by its nature decide, designed to put its boot on the face and the neck of people that look like you. It's a really, really interesting dynamic and really uh, complex set of circumstances for black police officers, not just in the deep South, but um, more specifically in, in, in those environments that are, that have polarity, right? Sure. Well, um, there's something else to consider here. Uh, when you think of a black officer, you know, you might not think that a black officer is capable of being racist against mm -hmm. black people. You know, not you, Q, but Listen our listeners. Me. Yeah, no, I know. I know you know this. Ooh, you from the motor, right? From that D? Yes, sir. So, so I know That's that. But, born raised. but, um, but you, our listener, you might not think about it like that. You know, you might think the solution to all these uh, systemic policing issues is that we need to have more black officers in the community. So let me help you with this. So let's take the Kansas City Police Department, right? If you are a good person and you happen to be black, right? And you report in Kansas, or we've, we've shared these stories in the South. This is why I mentioned the South. You're a good person and you're black in that order. And you see a fellow officer doing something that's not all the way right. And you report that. Um, you see the backlash here. We've, we talked about this before. Um, now your job is threatened. You, your hostile work environment, this, that, and the third, right? And that now happens. You, now your life is threatened. All of that. All of that. And that happens to, to white officers too. But we're, I want to make a point about black officers here. Now watch this. And this is why. I wanted to um, make sure that you knew that if you think that black officers, more black officers is the solution to uh, the systemic issue that you had a, an idea framework, we, we can do this thought experiment together. So let's say you are not a good person and you happen to be black um, and you don't want to report, you know, on the other officers in your uh, department that are um, misbehaving put it kindly mildly um that at best means you're complicit and at worst means that you're doing everything in your power to fit in with your uh white fellow officers meaning that you are perpetuating the same type of oppression the same type of white supremacy as the white officers. It's very easy for a black person to perpetuate white supremacist ideas and uh, bring harm to communities. It's very easy for people to feel like they are above other people. That's not a police and normal person thing. That's also a black officer over other black people thing. That badge and that gun, we've we've elevated these folks. And the thing is, the reason I keep saying this, you might think that this is normal. Yeah, well, you get a little bit of authority, blah, blah. That means to me that you haven't traveled. 
between me and Q, we've seen most of the earth. They don't do it like that in other countries. In other countries, the police fear the people. The police work for the people. Now, your mind might short circuit when I say that because you're like, well, police shouldn't be afraid of the people. The police should be the ones in charge. Of course, we need order. And we, of course, you know, and when you're dealing with, you know, an individual, you know, um, yeah, the police at the end of the day should have the final say. I think that's true in most parts of the world, um, you know, because there are people who, you know, overstep and we need folks to come in and set it straight. We recognize that. Right. But there is a healthy concern for police if they don't do their job the right way in other countries they are afraid of the people plural right more often than is true here or the people singular that's why it's scary talk to me say it. explain that they are afraid of the people singularly that entire group as one mm. Holding you accountable. That's what I'm okay. doing the we, job okay. properly. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. Right. The mm -hmm. people plural here is the problem. Our message, our voice, our stance, our position is not singular at all. The, the, the partisan and yeah. the clarity and opinion yeah. tears us apart right. in a way that in the face of what's right, we just want to do what's opposed to them. As long as we're doing the opposite of what they're doing. We don't even care what's right or wrong no more. Yeah. Right? Our stance right now is back to blue and blue lives matter because it's opposed to whatever they're saying. We got to talk about that eventually. We as will. As soon as it ain't that no more, then we don't really care about blue lives because on that day in January, January 6th, yeah, <laughs> they might not have been on the same thing as us. Yeah. So they got way, their lives got way less valuable that day. Again, that's another conversation. But as you said, the people, you said plural, but I think it's more. Similar. No, I'm, I see what you're saying. That accountability yeah. is there and you can't just do whatever you want because you feel like it because you might not just lose your job, but you might end up in prison as well. There you go. The accountability is way different. And, and they're very, again, they're very easy, low hanging options that we can do to put more police accountability into the equation, even one of them would change the optics of the narrative, change, shift the paradigm entirely. Even one, even if it's just officers carry personal insurance, and if they, if the lawsuit comes up, then they're uninsurable, unemployable. You know what I mean? Any, they any one of them. To, put the guns the, in the, the trunk. Way whatever. That a lawyer can lose their life, their yeah, ability to practice law, and a doctor as well. Talk the police you. should lose the privilege Say to it. be able to be an officer Say if it. there's gross misconduct. Keep talking. You know what I mean? You should not be able to, we're going to use this word again, violate the laws that the citizens you're policing have to live up to with impunity. You shouldn't just be able to. Ooh I like when you talk like that. You know what I mean? So again, I think people get confused with what we're upset about. And I want to, I want to make sure that I, that I clear that up. <clears throat> I historically have been, this is Rams is talking. That's my name. It's on my birth certificate. Have been critical of policing. The institution, the way it is done, it could be better. And again, as long as I have a microphone and a, and a satellite dish or two, I'm going to keep saying it. The individuals are a part of a system that empowers often the worst parts of them, human beings, and they are not beyond redemption. The system, I believe, is, you know, we need to change it fundamentally. 
but the human beings are not beyond redemption. Um, I do believe in forgiveness. I do believe in having love at the center of the narrative. And this is how this conversation sounds. And I, I don't really know how else to put any more sugar on that one for you, but <laughs> I don't think you need it. Cause that's pretty, you said that as gracefully as it could be said. Thank you. All right. Well, it's time for the way black history fact. I stretch my leg a little bit. <laughs> All right. Today's way black history fact is sponsored by hip hop weekly media. And our story comes from history.com before the Tulsa race massacre, where the city's black district of Greenwood was attacked by a white mob resulting in two days of bloodshed and destruction, the area had been considered one of the most affluent African-American communities in the United States for the early part of the 20th century. The massacre, which began on May 31st, 1921 and left hundreds of black residents dead and 1,000 houses destroyed, often overshadows the history of the uh, black enclave itself. Greenwood District, with a population of 10,000 at that time, had thrived as the epicenter of African-American business and culture, particularly on bustling Greenwood Avenue, commonly known as Black Wall Street. Founded in 1906, Greenwood was developed on Indian territory, the vast area where Native American tribes had been forced to relocate, which, which encompasses much of modern-day eastern Oklahoma. Some African-Americans who had been former slaves of the tribes and subsequently integrated into tribal communities acquired allotted lands in Greenwood through the Dawes Act, a U.S. law that gave land to individual Native Americans and many black sharecroppers fleeing racial oppression relocated to the region as well in search of a better life post-Civil War. Oklahoma begins to be promoted as a safe haven for African-Americans who start to come particularly post-emancipation to Indian Territory, says Michelle Place, executive director of the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum. The largest number of black townships after the Civil War were, were located in Oklahoma. Between 1865 and 1920, African-Americans founded dozens of black townships and settlements in the region. O.W. Gurley, a wealthy black landowner, purchased 40 acres of land in Tulsa, naming it Greenwood after the town of Mississippi. Credited with having the first black business in Greenwood in 1906, he had a vision to create something for black people by black people. Gurley started with a boarding house for African-Americans. Then word began to spread about opportunities for black people in Greenwood, and they flocked to the district. Gurley would loan money to people who wanted to start a business and had a system where someone who wanted to own a business could get help doing that. Other prominent black entrepreneurs followed suit. J.B. Stratford, born into slavery in Kentucky, later became a lawyer and activist, moved to Greenwood in 1898. He built a 55-room luxury hotel bearing his name, the largest black-owned hotel in the country. An outspoken businessman, Stratford believed that black people had a better chance of economic progress if they pooled their resources. Not a bad idea. A.J. Smitherman, a publisher whose family moved to Indian Territory in the 1890s, founded the Tulsa Star a black newspaper headquartered in Greenwood that became instrumental in establishing the district's socially conscious mindset. The newspaper regularly informed African-Americans about their legal rights and any court rulings or legislation that were beneficial or harmful to their community. Demands for equal rights were an ongoing mission for black Americans in Tulsa despite Jim Crow oppression. Greenwood itself had a railway track running through it that separated the black and white populations. Consequently, Gurley and Stratford's vision of having a self-contained and self-reliant black economy came to be not only by desire, but by logistics. Quote, 
as a practical matter could as a practical matter they had no choice as to where to locate their businesses uh unquote said john said johnson tulsa was rigidly segregated and oklahoma became increasingly racist after statehood on greenwood avenue there were luxury shops restaurants grocery stores hotels jewelry and clothing stores movie theaters barbershops and salons a library pool halls nightclubs and offices for doctors lawyers and dentists greenwood also had its own school system post office a savings and loan bank hospital and bus and taxi service greenwood was home to far less affluent african americans as well a significant number still worked in menial jobs such as janitors dishwashers porters and domestics the money they earned outside of greenwood was spent within the district it is said within greenwood every dollar would change hand 19 times before it left the community said place yeah it wasn't long before the affluent african americans attracted the attention of local white residents who resented the upscale lifestyle of people they deemed to be an inferior race uh quote i think the word jealousy is certainly appropriate during this time says place if you have particularly poor whites who are looking at this prosperous community who have large homes fine furniture crystals china linens etc the reaction is they don't deserve that um with the resurgence of the ku klux klan black residents in greenwood feared racial violence and the removal of their voting rights the Oklahoma Supreme Court for years routinely upheld the state's restrictions on voting access for African-Americans, subjecting them to the poll tax and literacy tests and lynchings proliferated across the count, the, con the country, sorry, particularly during the red summer of 1919, where anti-black riots erupted in major cities across the United States, including Tulsa. In response, the Tulsa Star encouraged black residents to take up arms and to show up at courthouses and jails to make sure black people who were on trial were not taken and killed by white lynch mobs. But the heightened racial animosity in Tulsa erupted in 1921 when 19-year-old Dick Rowland, a black shoe shiner, was accused of attempted sexual assault of a 17-year-old white elevator operator named Sarah Page. When an angry white mob went into the courthouse to demand that the sheriff hand over Roland, the sheriff refused. A group of about 25 armed black men, including many World War I veterans, then went into the courthouse to offer to help guarding Roland. As word of a possible lynching spread, a group of around 75 armed black men returned to the courthouse where they were met by some 1,500 whites. After clashes between the groups, the black men retreated to Greenwood. Mobs of armed white men then descended on Greenwood, looting homes, burning down businesses, and shooting black residents dead on the spot. With millions in property damage and no help from the city, the rebuilding of Greenwood began almost immediately thanks to the assistance of the NAACP. Other black townships in Oklahoma, uh, donations from black churches, and a resilient Greenwood community. However, some businesses, like the Tulsa Star newspaper, were permanently shuttered in the wake of the violence. The Greenwood district still exists today, but after decades of urban renewal and integration, the area's demographics and business resemble little of its storied past. And that'd be that. Compared to our ancestors and forefathers, we soft, bro. They, they paint the Dr. King versus Malcolm X narrative as the any means necessary versus turn the other cheek narrative, right? They both had to be willing to be slapped in the face for either of those methods to have any merit. So even who they declare a pacifist, Dr. King, for us and for our causes, even as he, even as he became the champion of peace and nonviolence, for us, he was willing to be slapped in the face 
we're not even willing in a lot of cases to be talked bad about. Our people were taking up arms and literally putting their lives and the lives of their families on the line to further our causes. And we can't even say Black Lives Matter without it being a contentious. Well, I can definitely say that Black Lives Matter. But that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cipher. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. Most of the time, they call me Q Ward around these parts. Hey, man, as, as we should. Uh, today's show is produced by our producer, Ms. Maggie, a.k.a. Maggie B. Nolan. She do. Um, and uh, yeah, hit the website, civiccipher.com. Um, we have a store. You can buy some merch. Yeah, if you want a Civic Cipher shirt. I know, right? Crazy. It took us this long. But yeah, if you want to buy a Civic Cipher shirt, um. Help us on our way, man. Of course, if you don't need a shirt, you can donate. Uh, we take y'all donations. You should see Rams' model shirts. It's really quite, uh, it's quite the sight. <laughs> makes, you, makes you want to buy a shirt or five. You're, you're very kind, Q. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, check out the website. Uh, follow us on social media at Civic Cypher. Make a donation. Uh, share the podcast uh, with your friends. Share the show with your friends. And until next week, y'all. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this. We kick finance, action, and scores.